How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to The Schlep. And yes, yes, I understand that it's been some time since there's been a uh, Schlep episode. Uh, lots been going on in life, and I actually got another podcast project going. So if you haven't heard about When I Rise yet, it's a five-morning-a-week, the weekday morning prayer podcast where we look at different passages from the week. And uh, I give a short reflection and spend some time praying along the themes of the weekly biblical text. And so that's what's going on on one side. So now that I've been able to make some changes, getting some more room in the weekly schedule, I'm going to try to commit to one schlep episode a week too. So here we are, we're back, and we're going to try to finish out this series that we had started a few weeks back few months back, uh, we're taking the major question of all the centuries of the 20 centuries of church history. And so we're in the seventh century where Islam is on the rise. And so the question is, what is Islam? So what we're going to find is that there was a varied response to Islam as it began to occupy the majority of the Middle Eastern world and how the church responded to it. So I'm going to go over that, just a high level view of that, and maybe provide a couple points of conclusion there and hopefully it can inform how we interact with Islam today. So thanks for tuning back into the schlep. Let's get right to the question of the century. What is Islam? All right, so here we go. What is Islam? That was a governing question of the seventh century and (coughs) excuse me, what I'm not going to do is give a thorough uh, conclusion about what Islam is, or to talk about its origins, or to talk about its major theological beliefs. There are m- much more qualified folks out there and better uh, sources than the Schlepp for this. This is simply taking the question um, from the book 20 Questions of the 20 Centuries of World Christian History and just trying to boil them down so that we can get more used to our story. So, it is true that by the end of the 7th century, Islamic rule had overtaken much of the Middle East. So church leaders were faced with a question, what is the relationship between the church and Islamic rule? Uh, This was important because the Islamic government rejected the church's attempts to promote Christian candidates to hold leadership or even governing position. Uh, On one occasion, there's this interesting story uh, where a Muslim leadership questioned the church leadership about Islam. They asked, you know, what do they think of Islam? And the church leader critiqued Islam, calling it a religion of the sword instead of religion of faith attested by miracles. Well, that bishop lost his tongue because he deeply offended the caliph. And because of that, it became clear that Christians needed to think about the ramifications for this matter further. And it's simply because there was an exponential growth of Islamic presence in the world around them. And so it didn't take long for Islam to conquer and occupy many of the epicenters of Christianity in the Middle East. In many of those places, that occupation and presence remains to this day. And so this question of what is Islam and what what should we do about it, what does it mean to be faithful, is something that we're still grappling with today. Remember, at this point, there are three major divisions in the church, and each of them had different responses towards Islam. The Byzantines, uh, the Eastern Church in the Byzantine area, Um, They were mostly opposed to Islamic rule because they depended on the welfare of the Byzantine Empire. So the Byzantine Empire, which was colliding with Islamic forces, if it lost its grip um, on the world around them, if they lost their leadership and power, that means the church lost its power because the church and the state were so uniquely tied together. And so um, over time, 
uh, Islam uh, began to chip away at the Byzantine Empire, which um, caused the church to lose its grip on that region as well. So this is more of a topic of power. They were losing their power because uh, the Byzantine Empire was on uh, the, the down, uh, the, the depletion. The church in the east, the second major division of the church, they were the exact opposite. They felt like Muslim rule was far, be far better than the Zoroastrian Persian rule that they were experiencing. And so they felt like, well, they're not Christians, but at least they're not as harsh as our former rulers. And so they actually tried to find a way to dwell safely with them. In the Oriental Orthodox Church, they were in constant rivalry with the Byzantines, so they had this like differing response to Islamic rule. On the one hand, they were glad that the Byzantine church was experiencing much conflict and losing their grip of power, but at the same time, it was quite uncomfortable to have an alternative religion to rule in your area. So contrary to what it seems, uh, with this all in mind, early, early Muslim rule wasn't harsh against Christians. In fact, Arabs didn't harass uh, non-Muslims, but they decided at this point in the story to pay them a special tax. If you weren't a Muslim, you were charged an extra tax, which is actually fueling their war efforts. And so why ruin that gravy train of resources? Later on, however, as Islam continued to spread, they began to pressure Christians to convert to Islam. And that was another story altogether. Perhaps we'll get to that in the centuries ahead. But let's look a little bit deeper dive of each of these issues. For the Byzantines, they saw the harsh treatment, uh, the perpetual wars from the Byzantines between the Byzantines and the Muslims as God's judgment, maybe even the end times judgment upon the church. Uh, the Byzantines believed that the church was judged for their sins, leaving many to consider that Islam was so mighty and strong that only God could defeat it. And so they saw like war after war, struggle after struggle. They felt like this type of power could only come from a sovereign God. And therefore, they needed to pray more fervently, become more holy in order to be protected from this power that God had unleashed upon the earth. Uh, in contrast, the Church of the East, the Church of the East was used to a foreign religion among governing their areas. And so harsh persecution by the Zoroastrians before them began to wane as the Muslims occupied the area of the world. And so this was a better picture than centuries before. Supposedly the church of the East paid Muslims no mind. In fact, early documents express that Muslims did not oppose the church's faith, but actually praised the church for their vibrant faith. In fact, Muslims gave aid to churches and monasteries in their region at times. So they're almost seen not completely, but almost like a mutual support. We will leave you alone and we will support you at the same time. Can we dwell together side by side for the days to come? And then once again at the Oriental Orthodox Church, um, they, were, they had the least to lose with Islamic um, occupation. So but some of the writings were quite critical of Islam. One bishop compared their arrival with the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And in fact, in an elaborate proof-testing framework, God allowed Islam to invade Christian territories, they, they, they said, to judge the church and to provoke a massive battle between Muslims and Greek states, which would reveal the son of perdition spoken of in both Daniel and other apocalyptic literature of the scripture text, and usher in Christ's return. The Oriental Orthodox Church suggested that Islam was a sign of God's near return. So here is the summary of all of this to be considered. 
Islam was, and perhaps still is, a source of division among Christian communities. To some, it appeared that Islam was a significant political, economical, and theological threat, like the Byzantines. To others, it was simply a part of God's plan for Christ's return. However, each section of the church regarded the coming of Islam as the judgment of God. As soon, only a century later, John of Damascus began to seek to win Muslims from Islam to Christ, or to refer to Islam not as apocalyptic terms, but as apologetic opportunities. So instead of seeing it as God's tool to judge the church and to usher in Christ's return, 100 years after the 7th century, so in the 8th century and following, there was this movement afoot to evangelize the Muslim world as it was evangelizing the other worlds around them. So this is like, so, so what? What does that mean for us today? I mean, this is at least 12 centuries removed from us. Um, what can we say of all this? We, what we can say is that Islam is still a fixture in our world today. Islam is also on the rise in the West. I think at some point, uh, not in the far past, we thought, well, Islam will stay in the Middle East. Its epicenter is in the Middle East. We don't have to worry about it jumping the ocean and being, you know, having a presence here in the West. But it has, and it's on the rise in the West. It seems like the church has divided among this issue of Islam too. Some say that Islam should be neutralized and that we, they should be proselytized. You know, less uh, Islam believers, to, and if those can be transferred into Christian believers, that is the great commission that God has given us. Others, you know, Christians who also have like a nationalistic bent, feel like uh, we should go to war, that any war against uh, a Muslim community or the Muslim world is, uh, is a holy war, and it's sanctioned by God. And uh, to put it frankly, like people would see that maybe Muslims should be stopped by warfare more than anything else. Others see Islam... They look at the Muslim folks that are in their life, and they uh, we need to either tolerate Islam among us or to get used to it, or even so, to become aware of Islam and its major tenets in order to love our Muslim neighbors more precisely. So simply put, this is not an easy issue, and uh, there's going to be further discussion about it. There's actually uh, quite a discussion in the academic world about how as a monotheistic faiths like Christian, Christianity, Islam and Judaism can share from one another. We're both pietistic, monotheistic religions uh, that call their adherence to a higher moral fortitude and to civility among one another. And so maybe there's a way that we can partner with one another. We hear these stories, um, even along the 10th parallel, where there's more Christians and Muslims than any other part of the world, where uh, instead of fighting with one another, they're uh, shielding protesters from one another. So uh, let's say there's a church that wants to hold a service uh, Muslim neighbors will make a, a human shield around it so they can worship and vice versa. Simply put, this, this issue is not resolved. It's going to continue to probably splinter the church in the years to come. So it's important for us to be informed about what Islam is and what it's not because there's some over-characteristic uh, pieces of it that we find in the media today, even some well-to-do Christian pastors who aren't steeped fully in the Islam story. Uh, they get some things wrong and it totally paints Islam in a different light than maybe the majority of his adherents would uh, suggest. And so what's, what should we do? We should study, we should pray, and ultimately we should ask God for strength to love our Muslim neighbors so that we can fulfill the law of Christ. And who knows, uh, perhaps our Muslim friends will see the love of Christ within us and ask questions about who Jesus is. Well, that's all for today. The next century's question, the 8th century question, is are icons idolatrous? Sounds riveting, doesn't it? 
We'll see you next time on The Schlep.